Welcome to On the Clock. I'm Liz Del Conte, and today I'm talking with Anna Stunkel. I'm really excited about this conversation because Anna has not just one job, but a series of jobs, all of which are very different from my own. Well, she is an educator and I'm an educator, but she gets to bring in box turtles when she's teaching, which is something I've never done. Um, she's also a scientific illustrator. She's worked as a hawk counter. She's banded birds. She does all kinds of things, all inspired and fueled by her passion for the outdoors and for wildlife. So if you're somebody who also, like Anna, enjoys being outside and observing nature and is really interested in how to take that passion and turn it into a career, this conversation will probably give you a bunch of really good ideas. And maybe you just don't even know what being, say, a hawk counter would entail. And you wouldn't be alone in that because it's only recently that I know what that would entail as well. So hopefully you'll um, all find something fascinating from this conversation. And at the very least, you might even be inspired to head outdoors, maybe even grab a pair of binoculars and just take a look around at what's going on. It's spring migration. Um, you know, raptors are heading north and songbirds are on their way. And it's just all very exciting. It's an exciting time to have this conversation. All right. So I am very excited to talk to Anna Stunkel today. Um, and she is an educator, conservationist, naturalist, artist, professional birder, which just makes me jealous to say. Um, so I, and I confess that I um, harbor a fantasy that I could go back to school and become an ornithologist and spend all of my time outside looking at birds and studying birds. So I'm really excited to hear what, what your job is really like when you do work with birds, because I just, in another life, that's what I would do. Um, so I'm excited in particular, but one thing that I, I'm always curious about when I think about anybody getting a job is what did you want to be like when you were little and you were kind of imagining um, growing up and having a job, did you see yourself in a job like one of the ones you have today? Or did you imagine your yourself as doing something completely different? <laughs> I love that question. Um, it was a similar vision that I had. So since I was a little kid, like early elementary school, I wanted to be a marine biologist. And I was so sure I was going to be a marine biologist. <laughs> A little later on, I wanted to be a vet. Um, okay. So so similar kind of working with animals and nature kinds of things. <laughs> this, yeah, I marine biologist sounds so exotic somehow. Yeah, I think that was the draw. And also I watched a lot of Kratz creatures. So and and similar kinds of shows for kids. There's a lot of good ones out there. Currently, it's wild crats now, but those guys oh, are still going the crat, Yeah, the, is that the, the same guys who did Zabumafu? Yeah. Okay. So they yeah. have like three generations of different shows right Yeah. Now. My oldest daughter was obsessed with Zabumafu. So I only know about it. Great one. show. <laughs> so what, 
what got in the way of the marine biology? Did you just change your mind completely or did it just pan out that you fell into like a different class, you know, and I don't know, how did, how did you go from marine biology more to the, the birding side of things and the art side of things? Well, I would say I'm still really interested in marine biology for sure. I love the ocean, even though right now I'm living in New York. Um, and I have spent quite a bit of time living near the ocean as well. Um, but I just, when I was about eight years old, I got this really deep passion for birds and started going in that direction. <laughs> it's amazing to me that you were doing that when you were eight. I, because I don't, I'm trying to think back when I was eight, I don't even know if I could have identified a Robin. That's embarrassing to say. I, I have no recollection of noticing birds. My, my mom and my grandmother had a contest every spring to see who would see the first Robin. And I remember oh that well, but I don't think I could have pointed out a Robin. I just knew that that was a bird that my, you know, my mom and my grandmother cared about. So, wow, that's amazing. So at least that, no wonder you just, you know, so much about birds. I mean, I remember seeing you working as a hawk counter at Derby Hill. And it was, I mean, it was a while ago and I had only been up there a couple of times. So I was a newbie at the whole thing and was really just going for field trips. And I could tell, you know, a bald eagle and a red-tailed hawk, and that was about it. And you were calling out every bird from, you know, some crazy distance. Um, so it makes me feel a little better that you've been doing it that long. <laughs> yeah, it it becomes, you know, it's been a, like sort of an obsession of mine in a good way. So it's definitely something I've spent a lot of time doing, observing birds. <laughs> So how did you get involved in doing things like hawk counting? And, I, and I'm sure that a lot of people don't even know that that's a job somebody could have, but it's um, it just it's such a niche sort of a, a job. Could you explain a little bit about what hawk counting entails and how you got involved in that and why it's so important? Yeah, um, I might backtrack just a little bit to explain my childhood, if that's okay, how yeah. I got into birds as a kid. How I got really into birds as a kid, um, I was involved with Mass Audubon quite a bit and doing volunteering. And I would go along um, with this wonderful guy, Strickland Wheelock, who was just a mentor of mine and does a lot of bird banding. So I got to see what he was doing. And every time you go up to the nets, you know, and see these birds, that they were catching and releasing for research, you never knew what you would find. And that was just so cool to me. And that was sort of what got me into birding and also local wildlife sanctuaries around helped too. And then, you know, I went to college and studied, I focused my studies on wildlife biology. And then after that, I got an internship right after college watching raptors so hot counting and also banding raptors wow yeah and that's what really got me started and hooked on that because the internship was about seven months long so I got to be 
in California near San Francisco in this really beautiful area for seven months with free housing for this internship and, and getting paid a little bit too. So that was really nice. That sounds so idyllic. So yeah. what, so, so you were, you started out banding more than the, the counting. Well, yeah, when I, when I was a kid, that banding, it was kind of, I was just tagging along. I wasn't really helping a whole lot. <laughs> But then I also did an internship during college where I was helping with banding, songbird banding, a little bit. Um, but banding, to be honest, for me, has not been as huge of a passion of mine as watching and observing birds. Um, so that's what sort of steered me towards the direction of hawk watching. When you were in California, like for you said you're there for seven months um watching and, and banding and counting and all of that um what kinds of raptors are out there for that stretch of time because i just think of my experience here um with derby hill or braddock bay near rochester that of course it's kind of the march through um may you know peak of spring migration um, so I'm just, I can't even wrap my head around the seven months because I'm so used to thinking about that work in terms of migration. Is it just you were looking at local birds or is the migration period somehow different there? That probably sounds well, that's stupid. a great question. Um, also, a side note, I'm sitting outside right now. I don't know if you can hear this, but the Cooper's Hawks um, <laughs> that are in this forest are calling right now. You probably can't hear it. But <laughs> I heard a little, like something in the background, but not something that I could identify. Like a little kick, kick sound. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah. The, so the question was um, the, the length of time that I was there. Yeah. So a lot of it, was we were banding and we were banding some birds that weren't necessarily migrating and we also had a really long training period I think it was like a month long for banding and and hawk ID because I really knew next to nothing about hawk watching at that time so so that was really nice and then also towards the end we did some band some other kinds of banding like banding wintering raptors and things so and we also did like some some side projects. I did some illustration work for them and data entry type stuff at the end. But most of it was during migration. And okay. migration can last a while if if you really want to capture all of it. <laughs> right. That's a good point. But, and I guess in different areas, it's kind of different peak moments, I, I would assume. Yeah, and that particular season at Golden Gate Raptor Observatory, we had a lot of red-tailed hawks, and they have kind of a long migration that can go into winter, really. Wow. But a lot California. of the raptors, yeah, a lot of the raptors there are the same ones that we get here, but then there's also like ferruginous hawks, Swainson's hawks, um, prairie falcons, so a few additional ones too. There were white-tailed kites out there. Wow. Yeah. Never seen one of those. <laughs> um, 
So you just mentioned that you would also do illustrations while you were at that internship. Did you, was the, the illustrating and the drawing something that you had started when you were young or did that come out of the birding and the, the love for wildlife was, was it already a passion or do you think it just came from observing everything? Ooh, I think a little bit of both. So I've enjoyed drawing also since I was a little kid. Um, maybe even, I guess, a little longer than the birding. I've been really into drawing. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and just it's it's always been drawing animals. That's been my main focus, whether it's birds or mammals, insects, all kinds of different things. <laughs> when I was at Hog Island, a couple of years ago, um, which is, you know, obviously Anna, but for anyone else listening is, um, an Audubon camp off the coast of Maine. I spent some time, one of the days, I think we had just gone out on the boat to see the puffins. And then we landed on some other Island and birded there and just kind of relaxed on the beach. And one of the, I can't remember her name right now, but she works at Cornell in the lab of ornithology. And she took out um, a sketchbook and she had this neat little sort of travel pack of watercolors. And she had grabbed a couple of things on the shore and was drawing and we got to talking And she said that so many scientists are just really good artists because they just notice things, the detail of things, and they're capturing it in their notes. And I had never really thought about the connection between science and art, because I always think of art as being so not abstract in just terms of the genre of abstract art, but just, I guess, just more sort of like romantic and, um, I don't know, like landscapes or portraits. And I had never really thought about that kind of science connection. Um, But you, I know you actually, I mean, art is part of your career now, right? It's not just something that you're doing in your spare time. Yeah. And I think what you were saying, a lot of that is why many people call themselves scientific illustrators who are scientists because A lot of people think of illustration as sort of a different thing than art. Um, Like illustration is more, you're really trying to capture what you're observing, sometimes in a lot of detail. Is that something that people can make an entire career out of? Yes. Um, And I, I should renew my membership. I used to be a member of the Guild of Natural Science Illustrators. They're a really good resource if you're interested in science and illustration as well. Um, it's definitely something you have to work really hard at. <laughs> um, and it's not something that I'm doing as a full-time career currently. Um, but during part of the pandemic, actually, I was doing art full-time for a few months and I was drawing sometimes like 60 hours a week oh my gosh (laughs) yeah (laughs) is it if you're doing illustration are you drawing outside like you're you're sitting by a pond say and I don't know there's a mallard and you're sketching kind of in real time are you photographing 
things and then you sit down later and use the photo as a reference. I don't know what, yeah. how that, that I have almost no artistic talent. So I can't even imagine how that would work. So both of those things you said are very valuable and, and great approaches to learn from your observations. But personally, I mostly work from reference photos. Okay. So I do commissions for people, um, wildlife art and, and pet portraits, and I'm usually working from reference photos. But I also do some field sketching, and I've been trying to learn more about that and and also teach people about that. <laughs> so a good way to learn about something is to to teach people and, and research that, you know. <laughs> and you've been doing online classes and video tutorials and things like that for different animals, right? That Because I know you had done like a red-tailed hawk. Yeah, um, I've currently I have a couple of students who are kids, um, and I do like evening art classes. Online or in person? Online. That's so cool. Yeah, and ne- neither one of them lives near where I live, so <laughs> so it's it's nice to be able to do that. I feel like children would be really good at nature illustration because they just notice everything yeah and these kids oh my gosh they're so attentive it's amazing (laughs) and really patient you must be really tired though I just can't imagine going to work all day and then coming home and logging on to do another job does it feel (laughs) Does it feel that way or does it feel more like you're just getting to explore another interest and passion and so it actually feels fulfilling? I would say both. It's definitely really fulfilling and I especially love teaching the art classes. Um, But, you know, I used to work eight hours a day and then come home and try to draw for two hours. So that's a 10 hour work day I've kind of taken a little break from that um but as far as when I do like artwork commissions usually the busier time is around the holidays because that's Mm. when people want um drawings for gifts and like pet portrait commissions and things like that which is kind of nice because that is the less busy time at my job right (laughs) then it's a little bit less tiring that way (laughs) Because you're, I know you're also working um, at, I don't even know if you'd call, call it a park. I don't know what Baltimore Woods is. It's a preserve, a nature preserve. preserve. Yeah, so it's it's a nonprofit. Okay, I always think of, like, I always go to Beaver Lake Nature Center is sort of my go-to. And I just always think of it as a park. So I never know, you know, what individual places are technically called. Um, and I know you're teaching classes there and, um, you do camps and things like that in the summer. And Mm -hmm. I, don't you, you push into local schools as well to bring like wildlife and nature into schools for children. Yeah. So one thing that we do here, that's really fulfilling and a big part of why I took this job is a program called nature in the city. So we go to all 22 elementary schools in Syracuse and we travel around and teach lessons that 
are usually somewhat related to their curriculum, the things that they're learning. Um, and it can be about all kinds of different things. Like we've done a snowflake lesson. Currently we're doing a maple magic lesson about maple sugaring. There's a couple of new bird related ones that I just developed. And we're also bringing our box turtles into the schools, which is always very exciting for the kids. <laughs> Are they like little baby ones? No, they're okay. like 20 something years oh old each, gosh. I'm pretty sure. I just, I keep seeing around outside little baby turtles. Oh yeah, so we we had spring break camp a little while ago and we found a little tiny hatchling painted turtle. It was so cute. No, I just saw this little snapper, a snapping turtle that just could fit right in my palm. <laughs> like they look so cute and innocent when they're that tiny. I wouldn't yeah, want to touch I a think, big one. But. I think that some of them, you know, they overwintered and didn't really grow during the winter and then uh, they then they emerge and come out. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Gosh, it's I'm so, pretty I, sure. I'm not gonna say for certain, but I, I think that's what's going on. <laughs> It's really amazing to me how much I don't know about wildlife. And I don't know if it's just because when you're little, you, you're soaking all this stuff up. And I, you know, I grew up on with a really big yard and there was a pond in the back. And even though I didn't know many details, I was out in nature all the time. And I mean, I'm someone who likes to go outside and I walk and I hike and I bird, but I, really in the scheme of things, I know absolutely nothing. It's really staggering when you realize you know like my kids will ask me questions about the turtles for example like I don't know I gotta go look it up <laughs> and um and it's okay to not know you know I I tell people this a lot like you you don't have to know what every species is knowing what a species is is just the name but observing that animal or plant or other living being like really getting to know them is a really special thing even if you don't know what it's called <laughs> I like that because I feel like in birding even when you're just doing it as a hobby I don't want to say it's competitive in a bad way but there's definitely um I don't even know how to describe it like you know who's the expert and who's the amateur when you're out with a group of birders and, you know, you, you definitely not you, but like one would aspire to be, or like I aspire to learn how to identify species. And I'm, you know, I'm way better now than I was a couple of years ago. And I know some of the, the songs, you know, I convert some things by ear, but, um, I definitely will sometimes leave a birding situation feeling like I have to go study, you know, like I don't know enough. I yeah. can't compete. <laughs> and, um, I think part of it too is so many, I mean, birders, because it's, you know, you have to go out in the morning oftentimes to really see a lot um, or make a day of it. A lot of times it's, you know, older people who are retired that you run into who have that kind of time and they've been birding for a lot longer. Um, so they know more, but I'm going to go, I like your rationale there so much better, you know, that it's not which birds or turtles or whatever plant or animal that you can identify, but just getting to watch that species seems more important. 
Yeah, you can learn so much from observation. <laughs> so as far as, um, I guess if we go back for a second, just to when you worked um, counting hawks, I always just imagine that that job must have been really fun in the sense that you're outside all day getting to watch these amazing raptors, sometimes flying overhead in the thousands. Um, you know, you're talking to the, the people who have come out to watch. Um, I definitely think that I idealize that sort of a job in my head just because I go, you know, every day into a building and bells oh, ring that dictate when I can eat lunch and when I can go to the bathroom and all of that. But I wonder from your perspective, after having done that for several years, what are the the great joys of it? But are there any downsides to that sort of a job that, you know, you would say like, here's the, the kind of rough part, or if you don't like doing this, it wouldn't be the job for you. Like, what are the potential downsides maybe to that? Yeah, I guess I'll start with the downside so we can end end on, <laughs> end on the high note. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, it can get really, really cold, especially yeah. at a place like Derby Hill. I would wear this massive puffy coat that Dave um, gave me <laughs> or lent to me that was really just like a head to toe coat, basically, and snow pants. But if you have that kind of coat and you have hand warmers and foot warmers and a good like neck warmer hat and mittens you're pretty good to go it's just that you're sitting in one place for a yeah. long time yeah because you'd be out there for what eight hours or so on the really cold days yeah it typically wasn't more than that um okay. once it starts to be like the 12 hour type days it's usually warmer okay <laughs> 12 hours but it can be it can be windy for sure mm -hmm. <laughs> and yeah there is an element of unpredictability about when you're going to have time off typically um because either most hawk watches you either have a volunteer who will occasionally fill in and you don't necessarily know when they're going to come they might just show up and say okay i can cover a few hours <laughs> And it's either that or when there's like a bad weather day. Um, I mean, I, did, I didn't really mind so much because it's something that I just really love to do, but it can definitely get tiring, especially when you have a lot of long days in a row. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but as far as good things, there are so many. Um, and hawk watching is actually what got me really into education because I, when I was in college, I originally thought I was going to become a biologist. And that's what I was studying and everything to become a biologist, which I still think is really good that I did that because now I have that background mm -hmm. as an environmental educator. So I have like a solid biology kind of knowledge and natural history knowledge. Um, but hawk watching, it's not just about collecting the data. It's also sharing what you're doing with people who are coming to the hawk watch. And I, I think that's a really important part of it. Um, some people like to do that more so than others. And, you know, I think that's okay. You want to 
prioritize the data collection, but it is great to share with people, especially like when I was working at Kipta Peak, it's a state park. So you have a lot of people camping and they have no idea mm. what you're doing. They come up to the platform and they're like, what is going on? There's hundreds of birds <laughs> and like falcons almost flying into my face. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> if they're there on a good day, it can be pretty in your face at a place like Kipta Peak. They can be really low. So wow. that can be the kind of experience where somebody sees that and it changes their perspective on things mm -hmm. and, and what they want to do even with their hobbies or even their career. Yeah. That's such so, a good point. Yeah. Meeting a lot of different people and also meeting a lot of great volunteers at these different hawk watches too, who help with spotting and just help with other random things because they know so much about the place. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, as you were describing getting to share those experiences with people who really just have no idea, right? You might not even know what the word raptor is other than like from Jurassic Park, you know? Um, <laughs> I kind of think of it as my goal teaching English. Like I just, there, I just know that eventually if somebody reads enough books, they're going to find the one book that could turn them into a lifelong reader. And it's just a matter of getting that particular book into their hands. And I feel like it could totally be the same way with wildlife and birds. Like if a falcon almost flew into my face, I would be a diehard falcon fan. <laughs> um, you know, and even if I didn't know anything about birds, I can't imagine someone could walk away from that experience unchanged. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people call it a spark bird when you yeah. see a bird that just like, a light bulb goes off and you go, okay, this is what I really want to do and learn about. Um, I didn't really have a spark bird. It was just kind of all of them. <laughs> but all of the species really, at once. Yeah, some people really have that and they have like a specific memory mm -hmm. of something that got them hooked on birding. Yeah, I, I have that with the robins. Like I remember reading in a magazine that if you left, you know, yarn and things like that outside in the spring, that birds would take it and put it in their nest. And my kids were really little at the time. And I just thought, I don't know, let's try it. It was something for them to do. And I just happened to wake up one morning and it was still dark. And I was watching this Robin fly down to the ground and take these pieces of yarn I had set out and then fly up to a nest. And it, it sounds so like basic, but I just remember thinking, oh my gosh, it's using the yarn and I'm watching it happen. And, and that was it. I just became obsessed with birds just from that experience. Um, and I really, <laughs> I love the raptors though. Red-tailed hawks, I think are the best. Um, yeah, but it is, it's amazing when you can become aware of the things around you outside, because I don't know, otherwise you just, like birds just seem like a, a generic animal. Like, oh, there's birds. Aren't they all crows? And um, <laughs> it's so exciting when you start really learning the specifics and get to like warblers, for example. Like the first warblers I saw kind of blew my mind. Yeah, that they'll be arriving amazing. soon. I know, I can't wait. Yellow-rumped and pine warblers so far. <laughs> I, I heard pine warblers at Green Lakes the other day. 
And that was exciting. It's like, they're coming. Yes. Nice. Yeah, <laughs> new birds are coming. Like today I heard the first house wren and the oh. first brown thrasher singing. Oh, I love brown thrashers. <laughs> yeah, this time of year is so exciting. Love it. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess my last question, because I can see that we're we're short on time. I um, I always assume that everyone has the same experience as I do. This is like one of my flaws. Uh, but so I, I spend, I love my job teaching, but I spend, like I said earlier, a lot of time too thinking about, you know, when I grow up, what will I become? Even though I'm in my forties, um, I just have that idea that I haven't really quite decided on my profession. Um, I wonder if you have that same experience or if you're feeling at this point, like with your art and your, your illustration, your classes, both online, but also working with students and then doing all the different um, kind of conservation work that you do. Do you feel like this is it? You feel like you found the right career for you or I mean, you said you have that, the biology background that kind of opens you up to a lot of different options. Do you think that you'll keep exploring or do you feel like this is kind of your deal, right? Like this is um, fulfilling and you can't really imagine at this point straying too far from your current, um, you know, couple of careers that you're kind of, you know, juggling at once. Um, I think definitely being an environmental educator teaching art and doing art are things that I'm always going to do. Um, as far as how I do that and the different things I do, there's so many different possibilities mm -hmm. of what you can do. So, um, so exciting. But, but I think in those air, in those areas, definitely those are things I'm really passionate about that I want to stick with. Um, and I love it here at Baltimore woods. It's a, a great organization and, Trying new things in my art definitely is something that I want to do more of also. Um, like I've mostly been doing colored pencil, but I've thought about learning some digital art mm. and some other mediums as well. Yeah, whenever I see people doing the digital art, I have a couple of students who who do that. I, I can't even comprehend how that really works because they get such detail. I know they can sort of make their screens larger and really zoom in on things, but um, yeah, that seems really exciting. I don't know. Yeah. It's and once you learn how to do that, that's, that's a really good thing to do. If you're looking into a career in scientific illustration, you kind of need to know how to do that because the process doesn't take as long as traditional art, like colored pencil and painting and stuff um and it's just a, a really good skill to have so mm. I think it would be a good thing to look into and it, it sounds fun as well it seems like it it's fun yeah. whenever I see people with their finished products I'm like oh I wish I could do that <laughs> I don't know that that's in my my future career yeah, just... <laughs> but I have done a lot of a lot of kinds of odd jobs as well as the things we've talked about. Like, I mean, they've all been sort of related. They've all been related to animals or teaching in some way. But I've worked on horse farms. Wow. Um, I've worked as a substitute teacher. So I think definitely doing and doing these kinds of seasonal positions 
questions is a really great way to get experience. Um, I have had concerns in the past, like, oh, you know, if I do too much bouncing around, that's going to look like I'm just bouncing around all over my resume, which right. <laughs> some people may think that. And, you know, you, you might get turned away from some jobs and because of that, but Baltimore Woods saw it and they said, oh, look at all this, the different things this person has done and all the experiences they've gained and they've had a really rich life by doing that. So, yeah. Well, some, it's not from my end that sounds value. exciting. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm going to confess, I was really hoping that something in that conversation was going to make me. I don't know, thankful that I wasn't a hawk counter or out there banding birds or teaching about turtles. I don't know, but it all just sounds so amazing. So hopefully someone else will join Anna in that career and get to really engage with wildlife and explore and observe. A huge thank you to Anna Stunkel for taking the time to talk to me and for sharing not only what her current jobs and um, everyday sort of tasks are like in those jobs, but also the childhood passion that she, you know, I guess always had for, for that kind of job. It's something that looking back, I wish I had had more of, and I'm glad that so many children um, are getting that from her when she goes out to teach because it's certainly infectious. Well, I hope that you all enjoyed our conversation and that you are taking advantage, at least if you're in the central New York area of the, the recent beautiful days we've been having to get outside yourselves. So thank you, Anna. And as always, thank you to Peg Newell for giving this amazing uh, music that I get to turn you over to now. Thanks so much.